be in the question and don't look for the answer because the answer is the end. And there's not endless possibilities and answers. There's only one answer. But if you stay in continuous questions, you're always transforming because you're never at one stop. You're never right. You're just always growing, always, always, always transforming, always moving into other endless possibilities. You know, 100% is possible 100% of the time if you're in endless possibilities. If you're in answers, you only got one answer. 100% is not possible after one answer. I'm Dominic Cruz, and this is Fitz Nation. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Brendan Fitzgerald with you in Fitz Nation. Happy to have you for uh, another episode. And what a star we have in Dominic Cruz. First, I want to uh, say I hope everything is well where you are. And if it's not, um, trust that it will get better because it can't always be great. And we talk about that with Dominic Cruz. He admires fighters that have losses a little bit more than the fighters that are undefeated because you got to experience all of the highs and the lows to achieve something great. That's just one of many things that we get into and um, super appreciate him taking the time. Obviously, we've worked together several times on the broadcast. It took me a while to work with Cruz. We did a Dana White's Contender Series uh, the first year that the Apex was open. So that was 2019. And uh, I hadn't done a UFC show with him until last year during the pandemic at the Apex, I believe. When I worked with him and Felder one time, we had a great time. I love working with Dom. He's a very thoughtful guy, very smart guy, uh, interesting backstory. So I knew he would be the perfect guest for this type of show and uh, words of wisdom right off the top. And I got all the nuggets that I could while trying to tell his story so that I hope you guys enjoy it. Want to give a shout out. I just got a review from Evan Hark out of Canada. Awesome insight into the lives of these UFC personalities. Star behind the desk and over Zoom. Thank you very much. So if you leave a review, you get your name on the show. Evan, thank you very much. I can't wait till I can get back to Canada again um, when our traveling circus resumes and the borders open up. And man, do I love going to Canada every time I've been there. Been to Ottawa, been to Vancouver, been to Moncton up in the Maritimes of the Northeast. I guess it would be the Southeast part of Canada. Anyways, back to our guest, Dom Cruz. And uh, just one thing last week, if you noticed the audio version was different, it was just ripped from the YouTube. Last Wednesday was my wife's birthday. I was hustling to get a bunch of stuff done, make it special, and we had a great day. And on like Tuesday, I just remembered like, oh, I didn't do the audio version of the podcast. So I just ripped the audio from the YouTube um, TV clip, but happy to get back to this more personalized approach and to connect with you guys and man hopefully give you some gold in terms of who i interview so let's get back to it dominic cruz of course wec champion defended that belt inaugural ufc bantamweight champion and the injuries that he's had to deal with as he says the fires that he's had to walk through have been intense um man his story is inspirational for the fact that what he was dealt with both in life and both in his fighting career and what he battled through and what he's still doing because he's still active and he still plans to fight another time this year and uh, full speed ahead as he continues on in his career. Pleasure talking to him. Pleasure to get to know him over the last year or two years. And uh, without further ado, here is his episode on Fitz Nation, Dominic Cruz. 
you're feeling good because you were just training that day. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yes, <laughs> good now. What's the afterglow of training at this point in your career? I think it's the same as it's been for every point in my career, to be honest. It's yeah. like at a certain point when you train and when you get done, you're just, it gets the blood flowing. You feel like, uh, you know what it is? It's how do you build confidence? You build confidence by doing something, by, by walking into the fire that you think might make you fail and not failing and surviving and getting through the fire every single day until the confidence gets to where you need. So I walked through the fire this morning, so now I'm happy. When did you learn that? You learn that early on in fighting. Um, yeah. Some people do. I guess, you know what? I take that back because a lot of people don't know how to be the nail from my experience of watching a lot of fights. So I'd say I learned that young. I was in wrestling, just starting yeah. from scratch, taking, taking my licks. Right. So I know that you're from Arizona, um, but I don't know much more than that. Like, how do you describe the early part of your life? If somebody's like, where are you from? What was it like growing up? How do you usually answer that question? Um, I had what I needed, but not really a whole lot of what I wanted. Uh, so very, I, it's hard to say. I would say we were broke, not poor, because poor is like you can't buy water or food. We had just enough for those things. You know, we had just enough to be fed. We had just enough to have a roof over our head, barely, because we had my grandma and my grandfather, my um, who was helping my mom out as a single mom, because my dad went and did his own thing, like so many other parents, you know. So my mom, um, she did really good. She did the best she could, but we didn't have everything we wanted, but we had everything we needed. So looking back now, hindsight, I was blessed. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, because not having everything, I look at the situation today and so many people when I grew up I didn't have this and I didn't have that and I didn't have this and I didn't have that and all these kids these days have this and they have that and they have this and they have that I always look at it as you raised them and you were in the you were in the era that I grew up in which is maybe we didn't have a whole lot so why don't we raise our kids with that same thing because that's what made me who I am that's what made you who you are and I feel like a lot of people who didn't have things like I didn't have, or maybe grew up without with less, they might raise their kids a little lighter than what we were because we want to give them everything that right. we didn't have. Right. Which I understand, but, uh, it kind of makes me blessed that I went through the licks that I went through, through the hard times, didn't have everything to go from nothing to something. You just can always move into gratitude when you need to. Yeah. How much do you know? When you were a kid, like, when did it hit you? Like, oh, we really don't have what other people have. Yeah, it came down to really just every school year. That's when you yeah, know. Right. You know, school year is always the, the that what sets the bar, is it not? When you go to public school, which a lot of kids don't have that now, but they're, or they're, that's why they created, um, what is it? Uniforms. uniforms. Sure. Uniforms. Right. But, you know, we didn't have uniforms in my school and, when you go school, when you go school shopping one time a year and you get shoes at a certain time, like, all right, mom, my shoes have holes in them. Yeah. But you're only at month four. We don't get shoes until month six, sweetie. Yeah. You start going, hold on a second. I have holes in my shoes. Like I can't wait two more months. I need right. shoes now. Um, you start piecing it together that we just couldn't afford it. Uh, when you go out to eat, 
and you order a value meal to share the drink and share the fry, but everybody gets um, one burger. It's like you're trying to cut corners and you start piecing those little things together when you're growing up. Uh, going out as a, as a family to fast food instead of going out as a family to a steak dinner right. or, or Olive Garden, which is beautiful and great. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying you yeah. start to compare and contrast when you're growing up to other families or other, other kids in school with their shoes and their outfits and their backpacks and their new school supplies and or going on school trips or buying a letterman's jacket or being able to afford a yearbook and not being able to have any of those things. You always compare and contrast and realize that, holy cow, maybe we maybe I don't have everything everybody else has. Right. And so not everything you wanted, but everything you needed. Of course. And so, I'm, yeah, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. And how did that how did the way that you grew up affect who you became? Um, I think that how it affected me was it made me realize very young that I wasn't going to get anything unless I worked for it. I remember asking for a new car and I wanted my mom to co-sign, but she had an experience with my father where my dad and her went in on a car and then he chose to go do drugs and whatnot and ruined, demolished my mom's credit. So now she couldn't get a debit card or anything. And she's raising two kids and can't even get a debit card. Do you know how difficult that is? Like you can't have a bank account. So how do you get an apartment? How do you get a car? How do you get anything? If you have no line of credit and you can't get a line of credit because your past relationship made you claim bankruptcy when you're 26 years old. So then when I'm, you know, 17 or what? Yeah. 16, 17. And I want a car. My mom's not going to co-sign for me. She learned her lesson with my dad. So when I go, mom, can you co-sign for me? She's like, no, honey, I, I, I can't, I can't risk my credit. And you go, what? And you don't understand that when you're a kid, you just see other kids getting their parents, buying them new cars or co-signing so they can have the car they want. I learned real quick. Nothing was going to be mine. because We didn't have any money. Right. So if I was going to get something, it was going to be up to me. So right off the bat, I said, you know what? I got to get my family out of this. This is not going to be the way it is for my mom the rest of her life or my stepdad or my brother or me or my sister. This is not going to be our story. The crew's name has to, has to be stronger than this. It has to be. So what did you think would, would ultimately get you there? Being the man of the house, taking control and making things happen. I, it was up, if it was to be, it was up to me. Yeah. And so I, I wrestled nonstop and said, you know what? Wrestling is probably my best chance at getting a scholarship to college. So I wrestled, 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 wrestled year round in high school. Didn't get the scholarship I wanted because I got hurt my senior year. Didn't do as well at the senior uh, championships that I needed to at the state championships. So didn't get the scholarship. So start working. And, you know, you're working three jobs and going to school, college, paying your own way through college while you're working these three jobs. And then you're fighting on the weekends. And then you start to choose, man, do I really want to do all this school and all these three jobs? Or do I just want to quit all that, go all into fighting and became a, become a prize fighter yeah. and jump on the wagon? And I, 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 was at a, I was at a crossroads where I needed to choose at the age of 21 when the ultimate fighter was blowing up. Do I go to college, safe route, white picket fence, get married, have kids, do all that? Or do I go, you're an idiot route, become a cage fighter and in a sport that's illegal in over 50 states and take a risk? Right. 
Well, I had well, to get my family out of there, so I took the risk. Yeah. So, what was the plan? Like, if you went the other route, what would you have done? What would Dominic Cruz have pursued? I was going to school to be an EMT firefighter. That was the that was the plan. Yeah. Just start that. You know, I was going to go get my uh, associate's degree at Pima Community College, which I had started because mm-hmm. I couldn't. I didn't have a scholarship, obviously, so I couldn't attend a four year college without money. So I had. I was going to go get my associates and then transfer. So, um, was it that you were so in love with fighting or were you just like, I can't do that. That's not for me. Like we hear fighters be like, I can't sit at a desk job. I got to find something else to do. And they fall into fighting. Like, what was it for you that made you take the, take the dangerous route? I always had a dream of being a professional athlete. That was in my soul. I never thought it would be fighting. I thought it would be something else, obviously. Um, but what, um, your question one more time, ask me that question one more time. What was it that made you make the leap to be a fighter? Like, what was it that made you want to put? It was that crossroads. It was that crossroad, Brendan. It was, it was, I had to make, I had to go all in one way or another. And I was kind of dabbling in between the two. Yeah. I was just, I was fighting on the weekends and going to school and working three jobs. I was like overload, but even with that overload, I was winning fights. I yeah. got up to nine and oh, and I got to six and oh before I took the fight in California and started crossing over to other regions and winning in other regions and winning titles in other regions in California at Total Combat. So when I started winning titles, like I said, you, uh, you gain confidence when you walk through the fire. When I took a fight on two days notice in California and met my coach, Eric Del Fierro and his organization, and I showed up to that fight with no cornermen against a, a favorite that had just choked out crazy horse the fight before I faced him. And he was a black belt. I'm six and oh, and I never faced anybody with that kind of experience and somebody who had beaten somebody like crazy horse. That was probably the highest echelon fight I'd taken. I decided to take it on two days notice in California. And I showed up with no cornermen. I had them just bring corner and put them in my bring people and put them in my corner. Right. Because I couldn't afford a flight for my cornermen. So I just came by myself And when I walked through that fire and won that fight, it just gave me so much confidence. And then I was cross training in California and met Eric and he started getting me coaches and he started getting me pad work. And he's like, I can get you a manager. And I was like, okay, now we're getting to where there's like maybe an idea of something going on here. I've got some support. I've got some people that think that I could be good. They could take me somewhere if I commit with them and give them the time. Maybe I should leave Tucson and and make a gamble and go for it. Because working three jobs and going to school, I'm going to night school after working all those jobs. It was like, man, even if I become a firefighter EMT, what's my base salary going to cap at? Mm-hmm. 80 grand a year, maybe. I become the best fighter on earth, a world champion, a professional athlete the way I want to. That can go higher. Do I go all in and go for the, 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 the high hanging fruit? Or do I go for the low, low hanging fruit where everybody else is telling me to stay safe and stay logical and, and go for that? Uh, well, at, you know, 18, 19, I yeah. went for it. Who was telling you to stay safe? Friends that were in college. Yeah. Kid, you know, guys that. Right. Like, you're, hey, man, your you're age. a little nuts. Right. Yeah. Guys that are your age that are doing, that are smart, they're going to school and they've got degrees and they've got, but they've got scholarships. They've got this, they've got that. And to be honest, like school was really difficult for me. I had to go in, in the summer year round in high school and just to get a 3.0. 
I was constantly in tutoring before and after school because didactic way of learning just did not click with me. I'm an experiential slash auditory learner and didactic learning is, it just, it doesn't work for everybody in school. This is all stuff that played into, into my mind when I'm at school. I'm like, man, I'm miserable here. I'm happy when I'm at the gym. What do I do? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there are so many institutional flaws. I mean, that, that cannot be debated. Um, the, the right answer to it, obviously, is a big subject. But for you, because like you said, you're not a, you didn't learn the typical way of school, but I know you to be a very smart, very thoughtful guy. Um, so when did you like the walk through the fire to gain confidence? When did that click for you? Cause, cause I feel sometimes I'm, you know, I'm late thirties and it's like, oh yeah, I could have really learned life lessons from that, from that, from that, from that. Like when you're 21, when you're 18 years old and you're starting to like roll the ball down the hill a little bit, did it hit you then? Like, like did these lessons hit home? When did that happen? Well, again, it, it attributes to your choices in life. And I didn't always make the best choices in, in high school. I was kind of, I was just ready to go. I was just so like young, dumb, and like just ready to attack the world and just so Did you get, ready. You got into trouble in school? No, I was never in trouble. I was just very self-assured. I was like, like I said, I knew young, I needed to do this. And I knew more than my mom and I knew more than my stepdad because they're fucking broke. And I'm tired of that. So I'm going to, I'm going to show you it was that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And when I got kicked out at 18, because I was, you know, I threw a party at the house, which I didn't get in trouble with law or anything, but I kind of like pushed the boundaries with my mom and my stepdad. I got you. I was was like right on that teeter where you're like kind of an a-hole, but you never get in trouble, but you challenge your parents. Yeah. I I was just, it was time to, it was time for me to get out the nest essentially. You know, I'm 18. Um, so when that happened, well, then the life hits you, you know, and then my mom says, you know, when you're out, you never get to come back. This is it one and done. You're never, you're never allowed back in the house again once this happens. So when she told me that it, it kind of gave me this weird, I'll show you, you'll see you guys will be broke and I won't. And then you'll see, shouldn't, you should have listened to me in the first place. That was my mentality. Mm -hmm. Then you get out on your own and the fire starts to hit you. And then you realize, holy cow, no wonder they kicked me out. Like, there's a lot of things going on here. You've got car insurance, you've got water bills, you've got rent, you've got food, you've got water, you've got, you know, things break on your car, then you got to fix that. You got, you got a staff infection. Now, how are you going to do it with no health insurance? Oh, you got yeah. a cavity, you got dental insurance. Like, all these things start to hit you, and you realize, oh, this is the fire. This is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so, that's when I started learning. You don't yeah. start learning until you, you, you start the swimming. And, you know, I feel like a lot of people, you know, they don't just get thrown out of the nest to learn how to fly. Sometimes they kind of get helped so long that they never really face those challenges sometimes. Yeah. But you'd be shocked what we can take when we're that young and durable and pliable and we can get bounced like a ball and get back up. So sometimes I think we got to use it. During that phase of your life, 20 years old, to you know, early twenties when you go all in on being a fighter, what do you think the biggest uh, thing uh, was that led you to achieve? What helped me to achieve going up through this path that you're talking just, about? Just this, this when you go all into being a fighter and those early days, because some a lot of people will want to be a fighter, 
and then they'll get into it and then they're out or they, you know, have an okay record. They keep, they get a side job, whatever. What allowed you to push through that? Oh, I had to be willing to be very broke for a good period of time. That was what allowed me to push through it. Um, not being okay with not having a nice car, not having nice clothes, not having cool shoes, not having nice jewelry, being made fun of for not having nice things and being 20 something years old, maybe not having a car running to the gym every day, riding a moped to the gym every day, living a very, even when you're winning fights, living a very concealed, tight, cheap life until, uh, and that way you don't have those extra stresses and extra bills and extra things to worry about, to pull you away from training. That's what made it possible. I lived on a thousand dollars a month for three years in San Diego, California. Whoa. And I was working 19 classes a week, uh, teaching, teaching classes. So I knew if I knew if I taught 19 classes a week, I would be in the gym all day and night. Cause I would yeah. do my two sessions a day plus train in between that teach privates and teach classes and whatnot. And I would moped to the gym home and back every day. And I lived in a one bedroom studio with where everything's in one room, you know, like, and I lived there for three years. I remember I beat Demetrius Johnson and won my GTR and drove my GTR back to this casita in the back of someone's house, which is $600 a month. My house is worth more than the, or my car's worth more than the house in the front and the back, you know? And it's like, Whoa, things like that. I didn't pay for the GTR. It was given to me through winning a fight. Mm -hmm. And Instead of um, buying, you know, all these nice things, I just stayed, I saved every penny I had so that I could spend all my time just focusing on getting better at fighting. And then eventually, when I got good enough at fighting, that big payday would come. I just had to have faith in that and live very, 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 very cheap and concise until that time happened. That time for me was 2010 when I faced Brian Bowles for my first world title on TV uh, after I faced my second world title attempt after I lost a favor. And when I, when I fought him in 2010, I said, okay, I'm going to quit this job. I gave my 19 classes a week up and I went all in and I haven't worked a regular job since until right. well, now I'm on <laughs> the broadcaster is that's a yeah, regular now job. <laughs> now I'm working a job, but you get my drift. Yeah, for sure. Um, what did it feel like when you got that payday, when it was time to, because that's a grind of a plan. You know, it was, but it was coming together. I knew it would happen. And then when I, when you quit your job to fight for a world title, you say, okay, it's, it's happening. Stay the route, stay the course. Now, when you win this title, when you beat Brian Bowles, put every penny into the bank and hold on to it. Don't buy a freaking thing. Stay in that house. Don't buy nothing. And what did I buy? Uh, the next, the next thing I bought was a Honda Civic. Uh, so I had a car cause I didn't have a car. So yeah. that's all I bought. I bought a Honda Civic. And then after that, the, I saved every fight purse I had and lived as cheap as physically possible and just put it in the account until I bought my first house. That was my number one goal. Win fights until I saved up enough, ch- enough chunk of change to buy my first house and quit my job. Well, then when those things happen, then you build the new, the, the new yeah. goal. And it's just living very tight and concise until then, because the more bills you have, the less you can train and the more stress you have trying to pay the bills. Yeah. So that's what really, really helped me. When you win the WEC slash UFC inaugural title, what was um, going on in your mind of as to what would be next and what would be your future? You mean when I won the UFC and WEC? Like when yeah. I fought Jorgensen? Yeah. 
when they merged the UFC and the US and the WEC, I just knew, all right, this is where my career finally starts. That's what was so hard. I knew that I was, I was already a world champion and I had defended the belt like two times or something in the WEC and nobody cared and nobody knew about it. And then I get into the UFC and I win that title. And now my career had just started. Like I'm at that point, I think I'm 17 and one. And when you realize at 17 and one that you're still broke and you still have no money and you're a world champion, holy cow, being a world champion doesn't bring you as much money as you think it does. Um, so you just keep living cheap and you just got to keep winning titles, title, 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 title. You have to, I mean, I couldn't even buy a house until I had a title for over I had my UFC title for over a year before I could still afford a house, like through seven, almost 20 fights before I could afford a house. So that puts into perspective the route that a lot of people could be looking forward to. Now, the fighter pays a lot higher than it was when I started. Right. But but still, like you're probably looking at a good 20 fight career, maybe 10 amateur fights and then 10 pro fights before you get to that payday that you can actually like live generously. Mm Mm-hmm get what you want, get what you need, treat your body the right way, that sort of thing. Correct. Um, so then the, like the injuries is just such a big part of your story. Unfortunately. Uh, when you think back on them, what do you think about? Well, I try not to resist my story. You know, I do my best to not be in resistance to it because it is what it is. And when I look back at it, it's the same thing as when I was 18 walking through the fire. Those were just, that's just now part of my story. Um, those were fires that I had to walk through the way that I look at them now is they were strategically put there to get me to deal with life because what I was doing was shutting life down in order to train. I was shutting life, just general life, uh, relationships with family, with, you know, females, with friends, with any relationship at all got put on the back burner for training. And then you don't realize that until you can't train anymore. Mm-hmm. So he's done you're on the couch you have no friends you have no relationships right you have nothing uh, you're not making any money your sponsors are leaving you your girlfriend leaves you your cat runs away everything hits you at once and you're like i created this this is what i this is what i have after everything i've done this is it and it puts you into that mindset holy cow like there's more to life than just fighting you've got you've got to have everything you've got to have it all you get to have it all you get to have a life you get to have fighting you get to mix it all together and you get to balance and have a check and balance and man i just re- when i got hurt i realized i had no balance it was all fighting zero life and yeah everything else got put in the back burner so then i started finding ways to to fill that gap uh, with the injuries and started started finding ways that i needed to learn how to be a human being instead of like a locked up dog in a kennel ready to let out and just scrap somebody. That's yeah. basically what I had done to myself. But you're not the only athlete I'll say in your defense, you're not the only athlete that had that mindset to achieve greatness. I've, you know, we hear a lot of athletes in the past, like people thought I was this pissed off guy at them. And I was just so focused on winning. Like sometimes it takes out of balance to ultimately get to where you were. So but like, but to your point, the balance is out of whack. So how did you manifest that and like change that? What are the things that you did to, to pull it back in line? Well, injury did it. I mean, that's it. Injury forced it. So right. that's the blessing that it became, you know? Um, but if you're sitting on the couch alone and you're like, I need balance, what did you do? 
Like, who did you call? Well, I, yeah, well, I went down to, you can't fight, you can't train, you're on the couch, you can't move. When, right? That's the depression. That's what am I missing? I'm missing this. I, 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 when, depression. Who can I make a difference for? Who can I support? What has been given to me that I can give back? When you shift into that, you no longer miss anything. You're now in gratitude because you're giving and, and people are receiving. And so you're, you're completing a circle there. So when I started getting into the mindset of, all right, who can I make a difference for? I said, well, MMA, look at what it's giving you. You have a world title. You have a house now. You have a car. MMA gave all that to you. So if MMA gave all that to you, what can you give back to MMA? And I thought, well, I mean, I guess the commentating could improve. Maybe I could be a part of that. That, that, that interests me. I could give back to the athletes by making sure that I speak on their account on how talented they are, on the right moves that they make, on the things that they could fill gaps, on the things that from my experience as a champion, my experience in ups and downs in fighting, maybe I could get back to the sport, get back to the athletes, really talk on their account instead of having people in there that necessarily haven't done the sport and don't know all the ins and outs, don't know the pain we go through when we're down on bottom and that we need to get back up and why it's important and all these things. I could give that, that mindset. So I got a, I got my trout at Fox. I said, maybe, I got, maybe I'll try, try analyst work because I can give back to the sport. I can give back to the athletes. And when I did that, it gave, not only gave me a job, obviously, but it, it, it shifted me out of what I didn't have. Mm-hmm. And allowed allowed me to give give back, and when I started yeah. giving back, things started to grow. Yeah, the give back thing is uh, <laughs> man, that's huge. How do how do you think of that now? Because obviously you're you're steady in the commentating, but other things has it spread to other I mean, areas? It it has to work. It has to, you have to stay on that because there's never just one time in life where you're sad or down or feel like you're missing something. It mm-hmm. it, it rebounds right. It, it's a it's a revolving door where i'm missing this oh i'm sad my girlfriend left me i'm like um you know why this why me uh i lost my job uh when that happens you got to shift and so i immediately move into okay who can i make a difference for i'm I'm low today i'm down this happened to me i'm I'm getting kicked while i'm down okay i gotta get out of this because i'm thinking about everything i'm missing so how do, the only way to get out of this is to think about what I can give. Who can I make a difference for right now to shift me out of what I'm missing? And then when you give something, like I'll go and hand out a bunch of food to the homeless. I mean, we've got so many homeless in San Diego, more yeah. than anybody. I'll just grab a bunch of food and a bunch of bottles of water and I'll drive down there. And the second you start handing water out to a homeless person and realize how grateful they are for just a bottle of water, you start thinking, where do they get water? Where do they go to the bathroom? Where do they get food? I mean, when I wake up in the middle of the night, in a hotel room, I have no food and I have no bottle of water. What do I do? I'm kind of like pissed off. It's uncomfortable. Imagine being in the street like that with no toilet. Now yeah. when you go to the bathroom, when you got to get up in the middle of the night, um, these all things start to hit you when you realize when you go and you do something and you make a difference for somebody, that, wow, my life is really good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm very grateful. And now everything that I didn't have is actually abundant. I'm now in a bun- I'm I'm in an abundant mindset immediately, and now I can move at least instead of just being stuck in my depression. Yeah, that's something relatively new for me in terms of figuring out how to give back. You know, I feel like if I ever get to a point on this show where I'm selling T-shirts or whatever, it's like all going you know to a good place because I think that that is uh, sometimes it takes a while to come around to that mindset, but man, there's nothing healthier than that. 
Well, I mean, maybe it doesn't need to be a specific thing. It could be as easy as saying, hey, man, your hair looks really nice today, Mr. Fitz. (laughs) I appreciate that. See? (laughs) You're good, man. You're good at it. And that's why you truly appreciated the compliment when you had that awesome suit on a few weeks ago. Yeah, you were taking in those compliments because we were because you looked goddamn dapper a few weeks ago in that dark. Thank you. Not that you don't. Not that you don't usually, Dom. Um, So, like, how does the champion? Like, you've had the the mindset to get through tough times, the walk through the fire mindset. When you're the champion, what is that mindset like? Because you've held the belt several times, WEC, UFC. You've, you've lost it, got it back. How, like, like, how do you think as the champion? Man, when you're champion, <clears throat> I mean, I have a different mentality now. Right. Even when, even when I beat Dillashaw to retain the title, my mentality was totally different as a champion then as it was as a WEC champion. And then when I won the title from Faber or from um, Jorgensen, I was a different type of champion as a UFCW. Each championship I won, I was I had a different mindset for it. Yeah. So the last title I had, it just went. I uh, I think I was a little bit bitter because of just all the people that left me over the the course of the injury loss. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and just how people counted me out and uh said that i was old and old news and i mean that's that's regular stuff but i mean then i came back in there's a lot of world title holders that we've had that haven't even defended the title once like they won the title and didn't couldn't defend it one time um i have multiple defenses uh, with multiple titles even when i won it the second time i defended it a couple times so it's like when you look at that you you got to just be grateful that you get the opportunity that you get to be there. Enjoy the ride. The, the last time I won the title, uh, I just got to really just be like, okay, look at what you created. Enjoy it. Embrace it. Don't, don't move so much into the future. What happens as a, as a world title holder is you, you're in the future a lot from yeah. my experience. You start moving to who's next and who's next after that. And then who's beating who so that, that they might give you him next. And it's like, if you can just be present for a moment, let the dust settle and just enjoy what you have. They're going to find the matchup regardless. It doesn't yeah. really matter. You just stay out of the future and you'll be a lot more calm. Yeah. So that's, that's what would be the difference now as a champion is just kind of let go of control of the future. You, you can't control it and nothing's ours. Nothing's permanent in this world. Not a wife, not a belt, not a house, not a car, not our skin, not our face everything goes. Mm -hmm. So once you really accept that, you can kind of just be more present, but uh, you know, a lot of my life I was trying to control the future and be mad about the past, in which case I'm never actually here enjoying what I have. When did you realize that? Mm, Man, I think uh, after I lost the title and then started losing you start to realize, man, I didn't really appreciate my wins too much. <laughs> that's, I mean, like, that's a, that's a familiar tale with fighters. Yeah. You're like, wow. Like I won my whole career so much. I almost took winning for granted. I was so used to it. I was so just devoted that when I, when I lost, 
my title and then had some, you know, all the circumstances mixed with it didn't matter. It was just a loss, a loss, regardless of what happened. Um, it just moves you into different mindset. You, you start, you have to shift things around when you lose. And that's why I have so much respect for guys that like, I know it sounds kind of weird, but a guy like even Mayweather, right. Undefeated, never lost in his career. Right. Zero losses. Right. I go, would I rather have that champion or a champion that's got one loss? So they know what that looks like and bounced back and kept winning. That to me is the next level of champion. And I know it sounds crazy. Some people would say, what? Undefeated is way better than one loss. But I'm like, after feeling some loss and, and knowing the, the difference, the guys who lose and get on the winning streak and, re, and, and, and retain winning again multiple times, those are the ones I look to and say, wow, you're, you're different. The ones who never feel losing and win their whole career, never felt it in their life. I don't know, man. There's a different thing you got to dig down into yourself to get back on top again after a loss, especially when you're in the top five, in the top 10, and you lose to them because you're coming right back to the top 10, top five again. So it's like, I just, I personally have a different understanding of somebody who's lost and came back and won than somebody who's never lost at all. I wonder what, you know, what they, how they would handle it. Well, I mean, if you, if you expand that out to life, if you, if you, all you do is win, then you don't have any bad times. And if you, if you expand that to life, if, if, if your life is just good all the time, then what's good, right? It's kind of like, if we have an event that has a lot of decisions and not the most fun fights, I'm just like, yeah, that's okay. If they were all good, then none would be good. Right. Yeah. And so if you win all the time, then, then there's no experience there. Yeah. It's, it's the tale of duality. Right. It's, you know, you can't have good without You got to know what's hot to, to, to have cold. You can't have and fear without love. You can't have love without fear. You, which came first, the chicken or the egg. Right. Like, and, and really, they, they, the yin and the yang is that. You, you get to be both. Mm-hmm. You get to be a balance of both. So when somebody's just winning, it's like, man, they might be losing in other aspects, but it's like there's a lesson to be learned still that either you can push a little bit harder to that loss and then see what you can push through or you got out right before you knew the loss was coming and you didn't want to face it. Which is it? I don't know. Yeah. It's a good question. It's a good point. I um, just wonder. So now for you who doesn't want to look too far ahead, right. But you're in the rankings and you are still active. How do you think of your fighting career now? One fight at a time every day is a, is a, I'm now so present and not moving forward that, you know, I have, I pick a date that I'm thinking those dates and I stick with those dates. And in between I show up every day and do my work and just focus on that. Like today I had uh, sparring and, and getting up from the bottom drills. So I thought about that and that's all that matters today. If I don't get through that, I don't make it to tomorrow and I don't make it to the next fight. So once I get that, excuse me, once I get that date set in my head that I want to come back and fight until then, I just put in the work to get myself completely steady and ready for that one moment, because you're never going to be perfect up to that moment. You're always going to be in and out. Some days of practice, you're crappy. Some days you're sharp until you can peak perfectly for that one day, but you're going to have a lot of losses up to that point. If you're preparing yourself well, but to get the belt back, right? 
everybody would just think that that is an, a, an amazing story. And uh, you who works in the, the broadcast side of things too can understand the buildup and the features and the story that it would be. Um, how, how often do you think about it? Mm, well, you can't, how do I explain this? Because like the, it, sometimes it's at odds, right? Like you want to be present for everything in life, but you mm-hmm. also want to, we hear about visualization, right? Yeah. Goal setting and all that, which are at odds because you, if you're present, then you can't really be off in the distance, visual, visualizing greatness and success and your goals coming true. So how do you kind of. Well, it's not necessarily true because I'm still manifesting from a, from a visualization standpoint. So Mm -hmm. I can still manifest what I want in the future without leaving the present. I just have to visualize it. Right. Like that. It doesn't mean that I'm there. It means that that's, that's just a manifestation and a visualization, which is a direction. It's not Mm -hmm. a choice. Right. So the choice is going to be showing up to practice tomorrow. And then when I have that talk with, with the matchmaker or whatever, then, you know, I talk to my coaches and it goes to that. It's like, I don't need to think about that until I talk to them. Right. Right. And right. if I do, what, what am I doing that for? What is it? How's that even serving me? Yeah. I'll just um, wait. Right. You don't have a fight s- set up right now. Do you? No, yeah. no. This I'm year though. Yeah, right? and I have a date towards the end of the year. I want about two fights this year. So I'll fight again before the end of the year, September, October. Sounds good to me yeah. around that. Yeah. We'll see. Um, I want to talk to you about Free Solo, that movie, right? And because we kind of touched on a little bit in terms of relationships and how you were all in and out of balance. And I brought up that movie because I watched it about a month ago. And then you were, you kind of made a comment on that. You were like, I really like that movie because I really identified with Alex Honnold. Yeah. I and did. like, how did you, can, can you explain why and like that, that kind of thing? Yeah, I very much had his mentality early on in, in, in this sport. It was the exact same thing. Like you see how in the movie, you see his fear to getting into that relationship. Right. You could see it even when he was with her and he loved her with all his heart. Everything he had in him, you could see it in the movie. I mean, at least that was my experience. Well, most of us but, would know it as awkwardness, but I found it so fascinating how you really saw it, which is probably more true, you know? I mean, it could be as my interpretation, right? Everyone's yeah. got their own. Sorry, I, I interrupted. A lot of people, a lot of people see it as awkwardness. I saw it as he wasn't choosing because he was scared. Because he was scared that if he chose the relationship, it was going to divert him from the life and death that he was facing every single present moment on that wall. Yeah. And if I have one quick thought of this girl crying when I fall off this wall and die, if I have one quick thought of, I miss my girl. If I have one quick thought of me climbing on this wall is my girl with another guy right now, because I'm so focused on this wall more than her. And she's second to climbing this wall and never first that's getting in my head and I'm not present. And I'm not focused. And these are life and death things. This man's facing way more than what I was facing. Right. He's, he's fighting gravity. I'm fighting humans. So <laughs> I was thinking, Holy cow. Like I was, taking my my championship mentality the same direction as he was taking a life and death no rope wall walk like he had no ropes and he was climbing this wall to the top which is obscene but i completely understood his mindset and and i felt for his girl who i was like she has no idea she's going to be second forever until he's done with the sport and i've i can't tell you how many people i've in relationships i've had to be honest with and say look the reason why I'm not in a relationship with anybody or you is because you will be second. And why should I do that to you? 
Right. Why do you deserve to be second? You deserve to be number one if I'm going to be with you. And I would imagine that's what they want. Any any person on earth that's around you is going to want to be number one uh, if they're in a relationship with you. They're not going to want to be second. How do you explain that to the girl that you love, him? How does he explain that to her while he still has to face this wall that doesn't care who he loves? Right. It, it, and and he's scared that if I have that connection, it's going to throw me off. All that matters is me getting up this wall and me surviving. Nothing else matters. All that mattered to me was winning a fight, getting a world title so that my family could get out of poverty. That's all that mattered. No relationships yeah. mattered. Nothing else. So I could I could relate to that. And I saw the fear in his eyes with mixing the two. Right. And that takes maturity, wisdom. And for me, it took injury to practice right. the other side. I would have never, I would have never practiced any or looked into any of these things if I wasn't injured and had to look at them. I would have just I'm training. Yeah. So I believe life is rigged in your favor. Right. And those things happen for me, not not to me. Right. And so now that you've gotten yourself to the point that you have, um, and I imagine helped out a lot of people. Have you helped out your family and all that? Like, is it mission accomplished in terms of that regard? No, I mean, I'm not, you know, I haven't, I'm, I'm still, I have to work a job. Yeah, no, I'm not saying you're like easy street forever, but I'm at, you know, I'm better than I was. I bought yep. my mom a car. Um, I've been able to buy a home. Um, the biggest thing I was able to get my mom so far was a car, but I got to keep, you know, I'd love to be able to buy our house, but again, that moves me out of that place that I'm quite in that realm of money yet. I'm, yeah. I'm still, I still have to be safe with, with what I choose so that I don't just have a bunch of extra responsibilities and bills that I can't keep up with. Right. So I'm kind of trying to play the balance. She's never going to have to check her account again. You know, I'll make sure that She's not going job to job to job, paycheck to paycheck, stressed out. That doesn't happen. And I'm glad to, to, to provide that for her. She works with me and my business. I gave right. her a job. There's all the merchandising. She's my treasure. So like there's work. She's making money for me. We're working together as a family. Yeah. It's beautiful. I'm yeah. very grateful for that. Yeah. So now what's the most important thing for you? What do you find yourself thinking about more than other things? It's a good question. I'd say my clear intention and focus right now is my next, uh, my next opponent, my next fight. I'm still taking that number one, um, mixed with, I mean, I have a lot of responsibilities with analyst work. Yep. They want me to two, three times a month. I've now learned I can't, I can't do that many shows. It takes away from training. So how do you balance the really high level professional training in the top 10 of this division and being a high-level analyst at the same time, um, the the trick is I, I can really only afford to do one show a month right now, which doesn't make me as much mo money as I could make. And I don't, you know, I don't make a ton of money fighting. I make more, I make decent money fighting, you know, but it's more like fighting is more like pressing a fast forward button, but it's not fixing anything. It's not right. fixing everything. You know, it's right. like, okay, here's a little breathing space. Every yeah. time you, fight. you get a little breathing space, but it, you know, unless you're making, unless you're bringing, you know, a million pay-per-views and you're getting a chunk of it, which you only get a chunk of pay-per-view if you're the champion, right. that's the only time. Yeah. So 
the reason to become champion is to, to make, to have the possibility of getting pay-per-view money. Um, other than that, I mean, what's the thought? What, what's it really do other than make people want to watch the fight more? Right. For, for the athlete, we, we've got to, we've got to be the champion and defend it before we get pay-per-view money mm-hmm. or bring a million people to the case right up front, like a CM Punk, which right. you had such a, or a Brock Lesnar, which you're so famous outside of fighting that you already bring a chunk. So they're going to give you pay-per-views for that. That right. makes sense. Yeah. So I just know the logistics behind this now. And if I'm not a huge draw, I have to be, I have to be conscious of that. I can't sit here and say, I should be getting this. I should be getting that. The real question is, what am I bringing to the table? And with that, I can take responsibility and then create my own way. So now, because I know that I might not bring a Conor McGregor base, I might not bring a CM Punk base or a Brock Lesnar or a Ronda Rousey uh, group of fans. I have to be real. I have to be in reality of that. And then how do I fill that gap? How do I fill what's missing there? Well, I got a job. Right. That's Um, what's missing. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time. I have one more question for you, and it kind of lines up because earlier you you spoke about how can you serve or what can you do for people, and it kind of immediately puts you in a a better mind space. A lot of times I ask you guys as fighters on this show um, advice. I say, like, what's your advice to somebody like me, to somebody who doesn't fight, to somebody who does fight, somebody who wants to go from being a white belt to a blue belt, whatever. But what is like your life advice to somebody to uh, to level up? See, this is the thing about me is I can honestly tell you I don't give advice because what makes me the person that knows anything, first of all, in any circumstance of your life or anybody else's, because I haven't talked to you about that. Right. And second, what makes me all knowing that I know advice in life. So what I do is I'll ask you questions. And keep you in questions, which is, what do you want in your life? What do you want to create? And what are you passionate about? Who can you make a difference for? Is there a way to make a difference for somebody in your passion? Um, What do you wake up every morning thinking about? What do you love? What makes a difference for you? What supports the people around you? What, um, how does this make a difference for the people around you? These are the questions that I would put you in until you would answer them and you have all the answers. I have no advice. I got you. You know, you know, but you have to ask yourself the questions. If you're, if Dominic's not going to be there to ask you the questions then take those and ask them to yourself. Be in the question and don't look for the answer because the answer is the end. And there's not endless possibilities and answers. There's only one answer. But if you stay in continuous questions, you're always transforming because you're never at one stop. You're never right. You're just always growing, always, always, always transforming, always moving into other endless possibilities. You know, 100% is possible 100% of the time if you're in endless possibilities. If you're in answers, you only got one answer. 100% is not possible after one answer. Right. Not 100% of the time, only to that answer. So. The only advice I guess I would give is be in the questions and stop looking for answers. There we go. Cheers to you, Dom, with my anything is possible uh, cup of tea here. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Thanks for doing this, Dom. I, I, man, I appreciate it. That was, that was a lot of fun. Thank you. I knew you would be a great uh, guest and a great person to talk to in this, uh, in this avenue. And so I'm happy that we made it happen. Thank you for asking fun questions. <laughs>
Yeah. That's what I'll, it's about. Hey, man. See, I give me the good questions and I can give you the good the good that's, uh, responses. That's what I focus on. Stay in the questions. I should have known that answer already from you. But look how beautiful this could come. But what if you just gave me an answer? Right. Yeah. We'd be stuck. Well, no, yeah, exactly. I hear you. The stay in the questions. That's really, uh, well, of course it's original. Dom Cruise is Mr. Original. You got, <laughs> you got gems that nobody else has, but no, it's very well thought out. So Dom, um, I can't wait to work with you again. That will probably become, come before the fight, uh, your next fight again, but I can't wait to watch that either. And uh, man, I wish you all the best. And I'm so glad that I've gotten to know you over the last uh, little you know, a couple of years since I've joined this traveling circus. It's been a lot of fun. And fun fits. Thanks for the time, yeah. brother. And we thank Dominic Cruz for the time. Thank you for listening to the show as always. Damn, do I love the advice that I get from the fighters that achieve on this show. Uh, Gerald Mershart last week saying you can't get to perfection. You can just chase it. Dominic Cruz Live in the questions and don't look for the answers. It's a similar way of saying that, that um, you know, because, you know, what Mershart said was, uh, you know, understand you can never achieve perfection. You're never going to arrive. You're just going to keep chasing it. And the chasing is asking yourself the next question in, uh, in Dominic's advice. But however you frame it, I think that there's value in getting the mental gems out of these guys because uh, what it takes to succeed at what they're doing is just incredible. And for Dominic Cruz, what he's been able to achieve over the course of a long career that's still going, um, to have the mindset to give back, to put himself in a state of gratitude and understanding uh, what he has in life, healthy thing, something that I want to pursue more once you realize what you can give back and what it does for you as well, uh, something really valuable. So anyways, that's going to do it. We got fans in Houston this week, folks. I'll be on the couch right along with you. Might jump into the MMA subreddit this Saturday night. Just live in there for a while. Um, I have loved chilling on the MMA subreddit. And I got to tell you, when I started doing UFC work, Everyone, I was warned about the fans. I was warned of, oh, MMA Twitter, social media, fans are ruthless. God damn, if you're a real one, they're gonna they're gonna like you. You know what I mean? And uh, you guys have been so good to me, enough to where I wanted to do this show because uh, want to get the stories from the fighters who have been so good to me and give it back to you, the fans, because you guys are the best. So. That's going to do it. Hope you all enjoy the pay-per-view this week. I cannot wait for it. I'm back on the call next week when Rob Font fights Cody Garbrandt in Las Vegas. And, um, man, the show continues. So thanks for doing this one. Got to line up a few more episodes. Don't know who the guest is next, but we'll find a good one. Thanks, as always, for listening. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, at TV. If you like the show, tell a friend who might like it as well. See you next time on Fitz Nation.